feeling feel pretty creepy. Hello and welcome to Creep Club, the podcast for the sick and twisted and the morbidly gifted, where we wade through the blood and viscera of the horror genre to see which films creep and which ones should be put to sleep. On this episode, we're looking at the 2009 South Korean horror flick, Thirst, a movie where we learn that it's better to hit yourself in the genitals with a stick than to let your lust lead you into a toxic relationship. <laughs> I'm Chance, and with me are my fellow creeps, Tanya and Danny. Hello. Okay. That was a, a good one. Hello. <laughs> All right. So this was Tanya's selection. It sure so was. So Tanya, why don't you let us know what Thirst is all about? Yes. Okay. I would love to. Um, I love, first of all, forcing people to watch a movie that's absurdly long. <laughs> and you had to because it's your job now. Um, it's directed by Park Chan-wook, who, who's pr- a pretty famous director. He did... Uh, I think his most famous film is, um, oh no. Old Boy. Old Boy, yes. Um, Have either of you seen Old Boy? I've seen Old Boy and I've seen Lady Vengeance. I've seen Snowpiercer, which I think he did as well, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So the woman that wrote the screenplay, and I do think it's rad as fuck that a woman wrote that screenplay, I think I have like a different feeling about some of the moments in the film knowing that um <clears throat> but uh it was written by Chung Seo Kyung and those two have collaborated together on a few movies and Lady Vengeance is one of them and also The Handmaiden which came out I think in 2016 um but anyway Dream Team right um it's I didn't know this until I was I'm going to use the term preparing very loosely. (laughs) Uh, But when I looked at the Wikipedia page for this movie, I didn't realize that the screenplay was inspired by a French novel, um, which wasn't about vampires, but essentially all of the major plot points otherwise are directly from that story, which um, is pretty cool, and I want to read it. I've been practicing my French... um, Accent. Are you ready to hear the name of this French novel in my French accent? Of course. <clears throat> yep. Wait, let me mute myself and practice once. Hold on. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, okay. Are you ready? It's uh-huh. Therese Raquin. You're welcome. Um, Everybody give Tanya a round of applause. Everybody. I was expecting more praise. <laughs> well, I just don't know if that's right or not. So... <laughs> Teresa Raquin. Um, yeah, sounds legit. Voulez vous danser? No. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Um, all right. So, <clears throat> this movie is really long. It stars, I'm going to be using some prob- probably some nicknames here, um, namely our main character. Uh, who is a priest named Sang Hyun, 
and is played by Song Kang Ho, who is also like a huge fucking deal in in Korean films. Um, he was most noted most recently and notably in Parasite. Um, He's incredible. I have a little bit of a crush on him and the director of this film, honestly. All right, so I'm going to do my absolute best to get through a synopsis with your help. Um, I, so this is a vampire movie. It is, in my opinion, I'm just going to say right off the top, it's one of the best vampire movies ever made, period, and I don't want to hear any counterpoints to that. Just kidding. Um, I saw it... <clears throat> A few years after it came out, I think I streamed it on Netflix or something like that, and fell in love with it, and I've seen it maybe six times now, um, and I keep trying to get people to watch it, but then they see the runtime, and they're like, no thank you. <laughs> um, and neither of you had heard of this movie, right? What What's your... Di- I don't know. No. What do you think going into it? I went in completely without any preparation <laughs> for what this could be about. Um, other than what little you told me, Tauntaun, about it being a vampire movie and knowing that it was a Korean film. That's it. Chan. I was going to get into this later, but um, I knew nothing about it going into it. I, I knew it was a vampire film because of the synopsis when I was ordering it, but um, I had actually seen the ending before. How? Because years ago, uh, Tanya was telling me how much she loved this movie and how great the ending was. And she said, don't worry about watching the movie, just watch the ending. And so I got on YouTube and watched the ending years ago. But I didn't know that until until the ending came. Like it didn't occur to me that that was the movie. So, uh, but when the ending came, I was like, wait, I've seen this What a trip, before. I have so, no memory of that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember trying to get you to watch it. Um, that's. Have you seen funny. the runtime on this thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I just know how to take advantage of my turn. Get the most bang for my buck. Okay, let's talk about this fucking vampire movie. <clears throat> Our main character, who I'm just going to call the priest forever. Yeah. Um, he is uh, he's a priest. He's a Catholic priest, and he's very beloved by his community. We see him at the beginning of the film. Um, you know, at the bedside of, of dying patients, absolving their sins, or whatever the fuck catholics do when you're about to croak and we're we're learning that there's this thing called the emmanuel virus that's uh just killing people rapidly and he's having a bit of an existential crisis about it because he's there and and he he it's just it doesn't feel like it's enough for him to like provide some spiritual comfort or whatever he's like ah i wish i could do more it's killing me to see all these people dying wink uh and so he is talking to an older uh priest who's blind and wheelchair bound and saying you know like his heart just can't take it anymore he's got to do something bigger and so he signs up voluntarily to uh be a part of this experimental treatment that's being developed in africa so he goes to this this remote place in africa and 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 willingly signs up to be injected or infected however they do that <laughs> with the ev virus <clears throat> That's redundant. Emmanuel virus with EV. And so he uh, gets progressively more sick and it's clear that this whatever they're working on, it's a treatment or vaccine is not working and he's in bad shape. He is 
getting progressively worse and they do an emergency blood transfusion which doesn't appear to work and we think that the priest has died but no (laughs) gasp uh he didn't so he miraculously survives and um and no one can really explain it just i guess that blood transfusion did the trick um so he goes back to south korea and looking like <laughs> like the caricature of the invisible man with the bandages and sunglasses, yep. which I love. Um, it's it's like eerie, but also a little bit funny. The, the tone of this movie is really interesting. It's really over the top and, and stylized and really funny at times in a really dark way. And we and he comes back to find a small crowd of people that believe now what's better than a martyr. A fucking zombie, right? He came back from the dead like, Jesus. Uh, so he's um, like a celeb now. And all of these <clears throat> folks who are have ailments of some kind are begging him. You like must have healing powers. Just touch me. Um, and this freaks him out a little bit. And he sort of uh, is trying to avoid that crowd. But they're persistent. They're always outside the gates wherever the fuck he lives. At the priesthood. <laughs> Monastery. <laughs> the priesthood. <laughs> the pri- <laughs> Mon- Boys in yeah. the priesthood. <laughs> Monastery is ac- actually, yes, that's the word. Um, and so he is continuing his job. Um, but but one the reason he has bandages, I should mention, is because the, the EV just sort of like destroys your skin it you get like these boils and your skin starts to like blister up and peel and um and so he's not miraculous he's it wasn't totally miraculous because he's still suffering from the effects of ev um but he goes about his work and higher demand than ever uh people love this guy now and he starts to recognize that he ha- he's drawn to human blood. Uh, um, and he learns that by consuming human blood, it, uh, it relieves the symptoms of Evie. So his skin clears up immediately and he has energy and he's no longer, you know, like hunched over and, we- and weak. Um, and this, you know, is a predicament for a fucking priest because it's gross and evil. Um, so he's like, well, you know, some of these people are like in comas and they're not going to miss their blood. So he, um, stays late after visiting these dying patients and starts, uh, hooking up an IV. Is it an IV? He, He hooks up a tube and lets gravity do most of the work. He lies flat on his back on the floor and lets the blood just drain into into his bag. And then he sucks it down like a like a Capri Sun. And it seems like it's doing the trick. He's not thrilled about it. He he's still struggling, even like to a heightened degree, about like his purpose and and if he's good or bad and if he's actually helping people or literally just drinking their blood. Um, and through throughout this time he reconnects with um uh, a a friend a childhood friend and it's a pretty um dysfunctional fam family uh the mother is an alcoholic who is uh really overbearing and um sort of like 
helicoptery even to her adult son um and he's weak and sick and just we don't really know what's totally wrong with him he's just weak and sick all the time and he needs a lot of care um and fortunately uh they sort of took in uh another <clears throat> child uh when they were young uh a young girl who uh I, I don't even remember her backstory was she like orphaned or something was she a first cousin? Her parents, her parents were left or left her right. uh, at at the mother's house and said they'd be back for her and they never right. came back. So she took her in and she's become sort of like a Cinderella figure, um, you know, like she's she's sort of the live-in maid at this point, and um, and so she has. I believe the. I believe the exact words the mom says that I took her in as a daughter and puppy. <laughs> yes, <coughs> she is really cute. Um. So, um, so, so the priest actually met her when they were kids too. Um, and there's a spark. They are interested in each other. And we start to see this dynamic where she's being pretty poorly treated by the family. Um, like, knocked around and treated, treated like, um, like she's not actually part of the family she's there as a servant and even though even though uh what you forgot to mention is at this point she is also married to the son yes which was a smart move on the mother's part because she's retired from taking care of her son and she can just pass off all of those duties to taiju and just be like he's your problem now and she's really harsh about it like my son said he's cold what the fuck are you doing go turn the heat up like that kind of uh dynamic and um and there's so the first night that the priest comes over to play cards with them taiju taiju is like <clears throat> not really part of the activities she's sort of off in the corner being the servant um and there's this really humiliating moment which the details escape me now but but basically she's sort of humiliated in front of everyone and she falls on the floor and they're all laughing at her and um <clears throat> what a dumb little puppy and uh the priest you know is extra drawn to her f- for that reason i guess i don't know there's some complicated codependency things happening in that relationship, but um, so we find out that that Teju Taiju fuck I don't know we find out that she is has like all this pent up resentment and rage and she doesn't know what to do with it and she's not gonna actually run away but she, she takes to running in the middle of the night with no shoes on she just takes off running um, and. They run into each other at night because he's a vampire now, so he's up late. And um, and there's this really beautiful, like, romantic scene where he gives her his shoes. He sees her running barefoot, and he grabs her, and it's kind of scary, but romantic at the same time. And he just, like, drops his shoes and, and lifts her up like she weighs nothing and just, like, puts her back down in his shoes and then she takes off running again. Um, and that's the beginning of a really beautiful relationship. The end. <laughs> uh, they, no, that's the beginning of the nightmare. And so they start having an affair and it's real kinky. And it's there are some really great sexy scenes in this movie that 
probably shouldn't feel so sexy because they're pretty fucked up, but, but I like it. (laughs) So, um, they, they start sneaking around together and, and she decides I should volunteer at the hospital. I want to do good for my community. And she's, she's a kept woman, so she doesn't get to leave the house really. She needs an excuse to find more opportunities to meet up with him. But if she volunteers at the hospital, how could her how could her mother-in-law say no? That's like such a noble thing for her to do. And plus, with this priest in their life, she's like following the footsteps of this priest. Um, and so she does, and they start hooking up just in hospital rooms of dying people, which is <laughs> astounding. Um, she s- discovers, he, he decides like really likes this girl so he's gonna need to tell her that he's a vampire first mistake so he reveals uh you know like so there's i i feel like i should probably tell you (laughs) there's this thing that i do it's kind of weird uh i am drinking human blood and he like shows her the process and she flips the fuck out and is like this isn't what i signed up for runs away and they come back together and and the movie sort of from there on out is about their toxic relationship of how they both were looking to get out of or like she was she was looking for an escape and he was looking for another a, a better or a bigger meaning in his life like he wanted to to be of better sir or more service and and then he sees this poor young woman who's hot as fuck and uh ready to fuck and also uh is like you know she's a charity case so he's like i have mixed feelings about this mostly boner in nature and so anyway it becomes this sort of like greek tragedy where they're having this affair and she sees it as an opportunity to get away from this lifestyle but uh there's it's not as simple as just leaving you can't just she can't just leave and go be with this priest uh vampire priest to be specific um and so she starts to manipulate the priest into helping speed things along (laughs) um so she starts fibbing a bit and saying um indicating that maybe her husband who is mistreating her emotionally um she lies and says that he's hurting her physically uh the priest sees some wounds on her inner thighs and assumes that that it was her husband and she just rolls with that um so he's getting more motivated to end that relationship and rescue her and that's exactly what she needs she wants to get the fuck out of there and be rescued um and so uh they plot to murder her husband and they lure him out in the middle of the night to go fishing. There's like a whole subplot about why they go fishing that is really not important. <laughs> it was unnecessary. You could have cut that out and the movie would have been 20 minutes shorter. Um, but they go fishing and uh, ultimately they drown him in the fishing pond. And that changes everything. Um, the mother, who is like her son was the thing that she lived for um is now she was already an alcoholic and now she's just completely off the rails in the movie they sort of indicate that she's like drunk herself into paralysis so she can no longer speak she has like in the book she had a stroke and that's you know 
I don't know why they needed to, <laughs> to like, she's not going to have a stroke. She's just going to drink too much. But ultimately, it's the same. She can't speak. She's she's now wheelchair bound. Um, or I guess she's not in a wheelchair. She's in a rocking chair. And they uh, are uh, taking care of her now. And uh, she, <clears throat> we see a glimpse that th there's still light behind the eyes and she knows what's going on. She just can't communicate. She has like this pure look of fear and hatred in her eyes all the time and she's just like shifty and like <laughs> just paying close attention and you st I start to feel like uh, sorry for her even though she's awful and now she's faced with this horrific truth that her daughter-in-law uh, and this priest <laughs> killed her son and now they're shacking up in their home and she's now she now she's bound and uh they play house like they're trying to act like everything's fine and Taiju is sort of like going through the motions and you can tell that she's kind of lost interest in the priest and she's the hot and heavy scenes are no longer happening um they are both feeling this incredible weight of guilt from killing her husband uh, so much that he is ha like literally haunting them. So they're both having hallucinations that he's in their home and he's fucking gross with like the snot coming out of his nose and he's just like icky. And so this is a real bummer for their blossoming relationship. <laughs> and they both start to go a little bit crazy and start to turn on each other. And it becomes sort of like a who's afraid of Virginia Woolf situation where they're just constantly at each other's throats, so to speak. Um, she wants to be a vampire real bad. And he's like, you don't want this life, baby. And she's like, yes, I do. She's bloodthirsty. And so um, they get into a big old fight. And they are kind of trying to murder each other. They just kind of snap. And he he chokes her to death <laughs> and immediately is like, oh, shit, I actually do care about this person. And so he brings her back to life. And the only way to do that, if you know about vampires, is to turn her into a vampire. But now they're drinking from each other like a loop-de-loo of blood circulating between the two of them, which is hot. So then she turns into a literal monster. It's like you start to see that all the while she she was a victim and she needed to be saved and all of those things. But she is just a bit of a sociopath and we learn that and he's learning that unfortunately now that he saved a sociopath and now she's a ruthless monster who loves killing people she fucking loves that shit and he's like we're trying to do this as humanely as possible and uh and she's like that's not fun actually it's really fun to murder people you should try it and so he sort of relents and he's feeding her habit of killing people they realize it i also just want to make make a note that like this movie is very long and it feels epic. It feels like it spans a long distance of time, but it actually doesn't like so little time passes between when she kills her husband. And then they're suddenly like, wait a minute, is it poker night? <laughs> like, are we to assume like a month or less has passed a week, maybe like a very short amount of time. And you're like, that's all that's so much has happened in that short amount of time, which I like about it makes it feel bigger than it than it really is. But but also because she's like, we're changing everything now. I'm in charge. So they paint the whole inside of the house this like this 
this blinding white and there's neon lights everywhere. Everything needs to be light and bright. And and um, so it has this really eerie, like futuristic feel. And it feels like suddenly you're in a different era of their lives. But a week, like a week has gone by. And so they're like, well, shit, everyone's coming over for cards. And um, we've got like dead bodies stuffed in every closet <laughs> because she has a problem. And um, so they, they pull their shit together to do to do another night to act normal. Everybody act normal. The mother sees this as an opportunity to get the word out, but she can't speak flaw so she does this very dramatic thing where she gets the attention of the other mutual friends that have come over to play cards and she's doing this thing with tapping her finger and she eventually sends a message through her scratching and tapping that her son was actually murdered by those two and the message she's sending starts to unfold and people actually understand what she's trying to say it's like it's completely unbelievable but it's really fun and so she, uh, fuck, I'm so, so long. So they're like, oh, fuck, we're, you murdered him, and now we're scared of you. And she's like, this is where the fun begins. So Taiju is now, like, on the hunt, and it becomes a slaughter. And she's stalking them through the house and murdering them one by one. And the priest, it's hard to tell exactly where his mind at is is at that point like because he he seems like he almost enjoys seeing her get really excited about it and at the same time he feels conflicted and he knows it's wrong um so he actually saves one of the women that are there that was there for the party and without teju really knowing that she thinks that she's dead um that might have been like the breaking point for him like seeing her slaughter all of their friends that just came over to support a grieving family. Uh, and so he ha- he hatches a plan and drives them out uh, to the, the ocean just before sunrise. And if you know anything about vampires, you know that they just don't really like the sun. And so uh, with the intention of... of murder suicide (laughs) so he's gonna strand them out uh where she can't hide from the sun and he's like this is it i'm putting an end to all of this and it's a really long fucking beautiful scene uh visually but also like emotionally i it's it takes you on a little bit of a roller coaster because it's really funny there are really funny like physical comedy moments um where she's trying desperately to hide anywhere so she's like okay, I'll get in the trunk. And so she gets in the trunk and um, he, and she pulls him in with him. And, and that's kind of sweet too, to see like, oh, she does actually kind of want to save him. That's nice. (laughs) So she doesn't fully hate him. Um, And then he kicks, you see the, all all you see is the, the trunk door just fly off of the car because he's kicked it off and he drags her back out and then she goes and gets the car door again and she comes back and then he throws the car door in the ocean and it's just like this silent uh, fight and it's really funny and also devastating at the same time. And um, eventually she just comes to terms with the fact that there's no way out. She's going to die. And so they sit in the car and the mom is in the back seat and she uh, gets to watch as these two burn up to a crisp. Um, 
they're sitting on the hood of the car and there's a, a great moment which is like really reminiscent of a interview with the vampire the scene where the mother and child are burned up in or it's not a mother and child the woman and Krista Dunst's character yeah yes Cla- Claudia I think is her name yeah Claudia I think it is um when the sun comes in and they like burn up into sort of like incense where you have like the tube, like a phantom tube of incense, but it's actually ash. And then the weight finally collapses and it just goes poof. So they do that in this movie really effectively. And you just see their shoes drop to the, the ground, like in the taking us back to the moment where they first fell in love, quote unquote, um, where he drops his shoes on the ground and, and puts her right in them. And, uh, and, and that's, then that's the end. They die. <laughs> I want, I want to know for just right off the bat, did you like this movie and be gentle because I love it so much. I can't handle it if you don't like it. Before we get into that, I do want to add a couple of details to the synopsis that I yes. think are important. First was that uh, the main character, the, the priest vampire, was one of 500 volunteers uh, for this experiment, and he was the sole survivor, which is really why um, what happened with him seemed more miraculous and why he had followers and, and why he was particularly seen as special uh, for surviving yes. this incident. Um, the other thing was um, the crux of the, the actual fight where things were where things were starting to turn in their relationship. Well, things were already starting to turn, but where that real big fight that they had in front of the mom happened, um, the the girl, what, what's her name? Teju, Taiju, Teju. Right. She she accidentally lets it slip that her husband wasn't. Oh, right physically abusive yeah and she, so she, she actually she lets that it slip, slip by criticizing him she's like right because because he starts to get violent with her um he gave her a, a backhand yes or something, and she was like for, my ex-husband never hit me and then was like whoops <laughs> yep and he was like sorry sorry what 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 was that <laughs> and yeah that's, and the reason that the reason that's a big deal was because throughout the movie, the priest was very, very committed to not feeding by murdering. So he spent, he got all his blood either through, he had a comatose friend that he was, you know, filling up thermos bottles with his blood. Yeah, if you had just heard also, the story about the cake, you would get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he was also stealing blood packs from the hospital yes. that he was volunteering at. So that was where he was getting his blood. He was trying to be a decent, humane vampire. And obviously uh, his love interest went completely the other way and actually got, like you said, uh, was enjoyed the hunt and actually found the taste of the blood to be far superior when uh, you get it from a scared, fresh victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because the when the priest first becomes uh he knows that he's a vampire, he ends up realizing that his thirst for not just human blood but all sort of like as he puts it sinful things starts going up. So, he's really conflicted the first time that he licks someone's blood, he is really conflicted the first time that he and um uh Taiju are getting jiggy with it 
Um, he <laughs> ends up uh, trying to self-flagellate I guess to repent from those urges and we see him really struggle with like his morality and and his relationship with being a vampire and if he can do both at the same time throughout the movie I thought it was really fascinating for the kids in the audience uh, who may be listening uh, Jiggy is a colloquial (laughs) term from the early 2000s given to us by uh, Will Smith Continue. <laughs> Thank you so I much. just started noticing that in podcasts where they're referencing like I've I've just noticed that people are taking more care to explain outdated technology in a way that makes me feel older than ever. Like I was listening to a podcast and the story that they were talking about happened in like the late 90s and they were talking about the, they were explaining why it was why it wasn't weird that they didn't call back because we didn't have cell phones and if you left a voicemail you know like you might hear back the next day or in a couple days and i was like oh no <laughs> we, we've officially gotten to that point where we have to like give techno technological context to stuff that is obvious to me and that i was out thing. of high school by the time i i I was out of high school when I first got the internet. <laughs> so that will put that into perspective. <laughs> Good old AOL. Elder creep. Actually, it wasn't even that. It was it was uh, Netscape. But but back to the movie. And I will answer <laughs> and I will answer first as far as um, okay. Did I mention the runtime <laughs> on this movie? It's a long movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were times where I felt that runtime because for two for two reasons here's the reason it's a bit of a slow burn movie which i like a slow burn and i don't mind long movies but this is a very long slow burn movie where lots of things happen and uh however with that said it was beautiful the shots were amazing um there were just new takes on the vampire genre uh, that made it more interesting, right? So like Western movies, when it's a vampire movie, the vampiric element is front and center and we just go through all the motions of all the tropes and you're like, hey, that was all vampire stuff. This one, it's like the vampiric element is important but it's also sort of incidental and maybe that has to do with the fact that they're pulling from a from a original story that exists without the vampiric element so it's more of a of a uh, it's a love story scandalous it's a love story and like scandalous and suspect and kind of a suspense drama uh with the vampire element in it so i will say i absolutely did like it a lot However, it was definitely a long movie. It sure was. Yeah. Yeah, I I uh, I have the same thoughts and something that accidentally happened when I was watching. I started it way too late one night about a week ago and got like I don't know, 3 quarters of the way through it and then I was like I can't <laughs> I can't go to bed. So I had to actually um 
rewatch it in that time. I decided to just start over from scratch um, and rewatch it. And I liked it a lot better the second time, I think because I already had just enough context to understand what was going on, especially because this is an English subtitle movie. So if you, you know, for some reason, like the subtitles were not getting through to you, I guess, like having a synopsis beforehand might be helpful. But for me, like kind of watching it the second time, I was able to pick up on more things and little like minor plot points that mattered a lot. And yes, I, it was absolutely beautiful. The intro scene where you're looking um, kind of like right in front of a window inside a room, there's this um, dawn light coming through onto the wall and there's little shadowy branches that are just reflected and moving gently in the breeze. It was such a beautiful scene and there's so many like that. Um, that I really just enjoyed visually throughout the film. So I really liked it too. Um, you know, I'm not really much of a vampire movie person, but I really enjoyed this, um, especially because, you know, what you were saying, Chan Chan, around the vampire storyline being somewhat incidental and also just the way that they didn't rely on tired tropes was really great. But they included, but they still inclu- included great vampire stuff which is really cool. But, you know, the, as far as the runtime goes, it's it's a double-edged sword because some of the power of this movie, and I think non-Western film in general, is that they take their time mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, that Western movies don't. And, uh, like, the shoe scene, right? That first shoe scene where it's slow and it's just the shot of their feet and him lifting her up and then him kicking off his shoes and then him gently placing her in the shoe because she's running the streets barefoot at this point. And it's a very tender, it, it sets you up for like almost like you think she's in peril or in danger, but then it turns into this very sweet, tender moment that really sets up the whole spirit of their initial relationship. And it's a slow, long scene, but it, adds so much mm-hmm. and there's a lot of those throughout the movie so that really starts to add up i think throughout the movie there's okay i fucking love vampire movies i is a problematic as vampire love stories are fucking love it eat it up and i agree <clears throat> they like give you hints of that but it is just more, it's almost like, um, it's like a Greek tragedy to me. It's meant to teach you a lesson about um, morality and identity and, um, you know, like really simply how to treat other people and how to understand other people. It's also a great, like, a cautionary tale for codependency <laughs> like there's there's so much more about the relationship dynamic that is what i love about this movie but but then you have yeah like the there's just enough of the traditional vampire folklore to to be like this is a vampire movie and we're all solid on that and now let's talk about the more important stuff for example, like being able to fly and the way that they do it in this movie is almost like they're on um, like stage wires, you know, like being just gently lifted off the ground. It's not over the top. They don't have any like they're 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 like most significant superpower is just being super fucking strong. And there's this really funny moment (laughs) when um, 
the their mutual friends are over to play cards and uh the mother is becoming problematic because she's starting to reveal a secret that they don't want to get out and so um teju is like she's tired she needs to go to bed let's just put her to bed and she just walks right over and lifts up the whole recliner that the mom is sitting and just (laughs) lifts it up and then everyone's like so one of the one of the women there just goes wow teju is really strong And she realizes what she's done and just fucking drops, just drops the chair back down. And uh, like, so there's stuff like that, but they use it at, sorry guys, I never have my ringer on. Um, they, they use it as, as like comedy relief. They're like, you know, you're here for a good, good time, a good vampire time. So we're going to give it to you. Um, but the, the like dissection of their relationship is what makes the movie really special and messy literally and figuratively and also it's also important to mention that this is still a very like horror gore movie Mm -hmm. i mean there is a lot of blood in this movie and there's even some like cronenberg body horror elements Mm -hmm. uh like with his nails peeling off the blisters yeah the bliss the leprosy of the of the disease and and just even the husband who's like snotty and gross yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and uh so and the and the blood is very uh is violent yeah it's like there's a lot of violent blood whether they're vomiting it up or shooting out of somebody or whatever it may be um but I also noticed that this movie is probably about 63% uh, erotic noises. Oh, yeah. I Lots of the, mouth the, noises. The sound in this movie, um, actually, that actually grossed me out more than anything. More than the actual aesthetic of what was happening on screen. The the noises of the slurping of the blood and yeah. you know, the gore. Um, was more well, it makes it feel more real. If you have realistic yeah. sounds of like suckling on blood from a little tube, like yeah, that makes it extra gross. It's harder to yeah. well, not not even just gross, but like you guys remember those Carl's Jr. commercials <laughs> where uh, yes, they're like if it doesn't get in your face, it. Or if it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. And it was just a commercial of someone going, <sighs> yeah, no, but that's like eating nasty. a burger. Yeah, and those, the, I would throw things at my television whenever those that commercial came on. And so I was having that a little bit of that, where it's just like this real visceral slurping, and yeah. So, but it was yeah. it was effective. It was effective in this. It was, and also something that. I found a little bit more disturbing the second time around that I watched the movie and watched it in its entirety was how how my feelings changed about um, Taiju. Like I, you know, I I started out feeling just really. I mean, obviously, we we start out feeling really sorry for her, and then we grow to be like, oh, this this she's got some issues and is not actually a great person. And I thought it was really interesting how they did that, especially like. Um, it was really confusing as an audience, an audience member, as a viewer of this film, um, and effectively confusing because, you know, on the one hand, we see her kind of like be really freaked out at how he's a vampire when she first knows that this is the case. And it really seems to terrify her. But the kind of quickness, at least 
that we're shown as the audience in which she takes to being a vampire shortly after becoming one, it just seems like a total 180. And I thought that was really effective and kind of like confusing the viewer's perspective of who she is as a person. I think it goes back to what Tanya was saying about this being kind of like a, a Greek tragedy because it is a surprisingly a very moral like moral lesson sort of story about lusts and and uh, right actions and familial relationships and betrayal and all that stuff and I when I when I encountered that 180 that you're talking about it's almost like what happens when the how do I put this it's like sometimes when someone who is powerless their whole life gets a taste of power sometimes that can kind of twist them in a weird way you know what i mean and that seems to be kind of like what happened with her you know this is the first time where she got to be not the kicked dog but the one kicking the dog you know mm-hmm. yeah you have a priest who like cannot bear any sort of gray area or um moral middle ground like he he needs clear vision and he's like in this endless pursuit to feel totally solid in his morality and his spirituality and any kind of anything that might um uh threaten that in any way is like bad and terrifying to him and and obviously you cannot live a life like that because that's just not how it works and so he's met with someone who has not just like fostered a pretty severe sense of duality but fucking lives for it she is on board like she has no problem with her duality she has no problem with her like wavering morality and just you know like being sort of someone who um uh is manipulative in a way that's she's an opportunist and but she's she's been made an opportunist because she has had to survive her life you know like she's had to put herself or be allowed to be put in situations that are uncomfortable for her are unhealthy for her but in order to survive and so she understands duality because she was forced into it you know like she was forced to realize like yeah, my parents abandoned me. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with me, but that fucking sucks. And he's like, how does this priest handle a situation like that? Well, maybe they abandoned her because she has always been evil. You know, like he just can't sit with the with the complexity of her identity. And so he starts to see her as evil. But But throughout all of it, they still have some kind of sick love for each other. That There's like a, still a little bit of sweetness. Like at the end, she puts on his shoes. So once she's like fully accepted, she's gonna die and there's no way out. Like this is the end for her. She goes and gets his shoes, the ones that he gave to her near the beginning of the film, and puts them on just to sit and die next to him. And that's so sweet. And that's like, uh, it's they sort of do reconcile with each other in that way. Like, she comes back around and she, like, takes, she, she turns into a pretty selfish person who acts in purely selfish ways mostly but at the very end she like comes back around and remembers like 
I had this incredible experience because of this, of meeting this person. And it's really sweet in a, in a fucked up way. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that too while you were talking. Like, it makes sense to me kind of as like a metaphor for toxic relationships and that cyclical cycle um, of, of toxic relationships that can happen where, you know, you make up, you break up, make up, make, all that fun stuff. Um, and the only way to stop that cycle is to like end it. And obviously <laughs> this is not a fully translatable solution into the real world. Um, Most people don't burst I think, into flames at sunrise. Yeah, it's not, it's, yeah, this is an extreme example, I would say. Um, but it definitely makes sense that that's the only way for their fucked up combined twisted story to end. So. But they do a really good job in this movie of um, letting both characters be both monstrous and sympathetic. And that's why it works so well. So even though she gets to be a cold-blooded killer towards the end where she just really like leans into the vampire life, um, uh, there's still you still have an understanding of where she's coming from and even before that when she is manipulating and lying and being dishonest and uh or even just cheating on her crappy husband you know uh and betraying the family in that way um she's sympathetic in yeah you're rooting for her you're like i want her to get out of there that fucking sucks she should get out of there and you also know, like, probably pursuing a priest is not the right way to do it. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> I mean, I felt like every character really ended up having kind of, like, flippy-floppy thoughts about who they are as people. Even the um, the son of the woman, the the man who Taiju is, is cheating on the priest with, there's one little scene where after... Um, Taiju is uh, pretending to work for a hospital in order to see the priest. She comes back home and her husband discovers these wounds on her inner thighs that she herself, you know, we see that she's actually the one making those wounds to make it look like she's being abused and perhaps for other reasons as well. Um, We we see the the husband's reaction is like shocked and like she claims that she got it from the mental hospital. He's like really concerned for her he's saying like mental hospitals are scary like can't you volunteer anywhere else yeah we, so we see, see him that, actually you know, care about her well-being right now. and we're like oh yes shit. And so <laughs> right exactly like it's it's very clear in other scenes that he's also shitty to her you know he humiliates her in front of this group of friends and he lets his mom walk all over her etc but the, these are like real people you know they're not just like caricatures of evil yeah, I was reading about the original um, novel, which was published in 1867 um, in a literary magazine, and everyone fucking hated it because uh, it's it's a fucked up story <laughs> with lots of bad behavior. And um, one... one uh, uh, review used the word putrid to describe the story which makes absolute sense like putrid is a great word for a vampire movie like I could see why someone would read this story and be able to translate it to a vampire story um, 
but what I was reading about it, and honestly, like, I don't know, I'm a college dropout. I don't know. I don't know. But <clears throat> one thing that they talked about is how it was like an early example of writing that was less interested in um, character study, but more like a, a study on morality and more like broad themes of humanity and not not as as yeah not character specific which makes sense to me because you have the characters the reason the reason I keep saying it's like a Greek tragedy is sort of like their avatars like it's not about that person it's about the situation that they're in and the complications of of what like moral code they could possibly have under those circumstances um which makes it uh, a little bit more detached. Like it, when it's a pure character study and you're, you have more details about this person, it becomes more com complex, which I like that too. But in a story like this, you get to have a big, big story with lots of things happening when you're not as invested in the character itself, but more about the circumstances that they find themselves in and how they navigate it and how that could be applied to anyone in that circumstance. And it has like a, yeah, it has a little bit of detached, a detached feeling like you don't necessarily care about any of the characters, but you're interested in them at that. It causes you, it causes you to sort of look at yourself, right? In the situations, uh, in that way where you're looking at these situations and you're then reflecting on how you would act or how you would respond, or what you would do if you were in that situation, right? So it is, again, just this interesting uh, moralizing tale that's sort of setting templates of behavior that you then are examining and reflecting on in your own perspective as you watch the film, mm -hmm. so. You know, I just had a thought pop into my head. I wonder if Breaking Bad, the people who wrote that show, were influenced by this, and to explain what I mean by that is, of course, like we were just talking about kind of the morality of it all and what you would do if you were in a situation um, as a complex human being. But also there was one scene in particular towards the very end of the film where the priest um, goes to this little encampment of a group of like 50 or so people who are just dedicated to him. They are, they really want him to heal their ailments. Most of them are sick or have loved ones who are sick. And um, they've been just trying to get his his divine touch, I guess, this entire movie. Um, so right before he and Taiju go to the beach, <laughs> which sounds so much more pleasant than what actually happened. <laughs> to die. Um, yeah, to die. The priest goes to this little encampment and mm. kind of pretends to rape a woman yeah, in the camp. Yeah, he stages a and rape get caught. scene. He stages it yes. so that he'll get caught with his literally with his pants down like he's about to yeah. assault a woman. That um I forgot about that scene. Yeah. That's intense. It makes yeah. I mean it speaks to like his character coming to terms with the fact that he is not it's just impossible for him to have the life that he wants, which is pious and uh faithful and pure and it's just not possible and it's become so clear to him that that's maybe not possible for anyone after everything that he's seen and done and been through so it's almost like uh he he's in another sort of act of martyrdom 
he goes back to that camp to basically be like, I'm going to disillusion all of you in a really, like, uh, undeniable way like no one can excuse that behavior he he knew that he had to mm-hmm. do something so egregious that they would all be so disillusioned that they would finally let go because they're just like him they want to believe that there's this pure thing if they just believe hard enough and they just focus on being pure moral beings then there are magical people out there who can heal you and he's like I don't want anyone to suffer with this delusion that I had that had been leading him down some very wrong paths, like convincing himself he's doing the right thing by like rescuing Taiju when really his rescuing her is actually just having an affair with a married woman and then murdering her husband because he didn't do enough homework <laughs> to know for sure if that guy deserved to die. But uh yeah, that's a that's a really uncomfortable moment, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's in there. He's sort of on this campaign before his death to like tie up all the loose ends and that's one of them to just be like, "Listen all you fuckers, you don't yeah. I'm not what you think I am." And he's not going to tell them he's a vampire. Um so he has to do something, you know, a little bit more down to earth. Yeah. yeah and it- it's a completion of, I think, because my impression was that in the beginning that he went to go volunteer and get injected with this uh, disease for this experiment was because I think he was dealing with depression and this was sort of a act of martyrdom. Yeah, right? I actually, yeah. And then, Sorry, go ahead. And then when he, come, and when he comes, so that act, when you, I mean, you said it, when he stages this rape, what he's doing is he's freeing all these people that are devoting themselves to uh, a a lie essentially so he martyrs himself the image of himself in the eyes and minds of these people by staging this horrific act to free them and it is this last act of martyrdom Mm -hmm. to free and do a good deed and and, and free these people Um, and that's purely selfless because it's not the same as just fucking dropping dead for a good cause. Uh, he destroyed his character in the process. Yeah. He tore himself exactly. down. Like, it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's... So they wouldn't believe a lie about him being something that he wasn't. Right. This, this uh, I don't know, uh, what's the word for somebody who's... Not like, like a faith healer or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they basically made him up to be a deity. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. He was like a yeah, saint. They were a worshiping saint. him. Yeah, a saint. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought that was a really, oh, interesting fact about that scene. That was the very first Korean movie to have full frontal male nudity. Oh, muscle top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was a cool scene. I, it, and it, not a, I hate saying it's a cool scene. It's an important scene. It's an important scene that, that yeah, it's uh, important the, scene. the movie would have suffered for not having it. Mm-hmm. He also see- yeah. And I just, I just quickly the reason why it reminded me of Breaking Bad is there's a scene in that series where Walter White pretends to be um, an amnesiac, I guess, and completely undresses himself and walks into a supermarket. He knows it's going to be humiliating and that it will destroy his kind of 
freedom in a way and he's going to have to be hospitalized after that but it excuses kind of some shitty behavior that he wants to keep hidden and i can definitely see some like parallels obviously very different scenarios but uh it made me think of of that scene well also just like the 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 the, uh what's the right word just the steady disintegration of a person's character and watching them just become get further and further away from the kind of person that you that they've expressed that they want to be or the kind of life they want to have watching them get further and further away is like very anxiety inducing so i could definitely like it gives me the same feeling as that series did which is just like i'm really entertained but i also just feel sick to my stomach all the time with anxiety (laughs) like watching how far someone can stray from the path but I'm, I'm glad you brought up the thing about how he seemed depressed because in all of the synopses that I read online, they really gloss over the whole beginning part, which is also why the movie is so long. There's like so much setup. Like they really want you to understand how and why this priest became a vampire and sort of the, like it's important to the arc of his character to understand his state of mind in any other vampire movie you're gonna meet the vampire as a vampire or you're gonna anyway all of the synopses that i read they really glossed over it they were just basically like he wanted to do a good thing for for the parishioners or whatever like he just he was it was a purely moral act and but i don't buy that because even when he's at the like research facility and that doctor is like sort of you know basically like last chance to get out like you have to understand that this is not probably not gonna work out for you um if we inject you like there's a chance that you're gonna die and we want to make sure you're here for the right reasons there are people that are just miserable and just want to die and this seems like the best way to do it and then there are people that want to be martyrs and um and when when you're like presenting it that way to someone who has a hard time living in the gray area and wants things to be black and white they're like well i'm definitely a martyr in that case but the reality is like it's more complicated than that he did seem like Mm -hmm. like a the the darker side of the same coin is like when he's saying i just feel like i need to be doing more it hurts my soul to see all these people dying and what whatever comfort i can provide is just not enough at the same time you're like you're watching people drop dead every day like that's got to be a bummer <laughs> you've got to be pretty sad and like you know uh maybe pessimistic about the point of life and so yeah and so i'm i think my read is that there was a part of him that went there to die that he just couldn't take it anymore that he's like i don't want this to be my life just providing comfort to people that are going to die either way um yeah i think you know something that the vibe that i got also in those beginning scenes is um the very first patient we see the priest with is he's talking about he's um, a very large man he has a breathing tube he's in a bed he's not looking great and the priest is kind of watching over him and hearing him tell stories in hopes of absolving some of his sins or in hopes of you know seeing if god remembers if he did x y and z and he's telling this story about when he had this sponge cake and instead of taking it for himself he gave it to these two I guess like starving little girls, these orphans. And he's asking the priest, will God remember that? And the vibe I got from that scene is that the priest is also having a hard time living in the gray area that, yeah, that's kind of like 
a little bit of like a sad story saying, oh, I should get into heaven because I didn't eat this entire sponge cake by myself or whatever. So I think that the priest is having a hard time being like, you know, I could actually do something meaningful in this world or I could try to make Joe Schmo, who's on his deathbed, feel like he's going to get into heaven, even though he the only, you know, thing that he's telling me that he did and that's good is is giving some sponge cake to some orphans. <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of disillusionment there that he's struggling with as well. Mm-hmm. This movie really reminds me uh, when you're talking about Tanya the the beginning and how they spend so much time in the setup. It reminds me of Full Metal Jacket. I don't know if you guys have seen Full Metal Alex Jacket. Alex has been just well, begging me to just, watch just, it. To the the parallel is this: the movie starts in boot camp, and that's like half the movie, and it's like this total movie about marine boot camp and right in the middle of the movie it switches and now they're all in vietnam and it's like a totally different movie but you can't have that second half of full metal jacket even though even though it's almost sort of uh uh it almost conflicts like i said it it feels like two movies kind of smushed together however the power of the second half wouldn't have its power if it didn't have all that beginning setup Mm -hmm. and this movie is very much like yeah Yeah, it needs to be a long movie. It's an epic love story. It needs to be long. It needs to have a lot of explanation about, you know, like the circumstances that each of these characters are in when they meet each other. And yeah, I love this movie so much. And again, it is a visually beautiful movie. Yes, I would say like, so Stoker, I think is maybe my I don't know if I like Stoker more but Stoker is also English language it has a bunch of um, English speaking actors in it like Nicole Kidman is um, one of the stars but it has the same kind of like opulence that's the word that I would use there's like this opulence it's not just stylized in it, it's not just stylized. It's it's like mm, there's like so much attention to the environment. Um, so like how every every detail is extremely specific, and the color schemes, and sometimes it goes way over the top. Like when after they're they're both now vampires and they're trying to play house and pretend like it's a sustainable living situation and she requests that every surface in the house be painted that bright white and it's like you see her sort of like clinging like she wants to it's it's tragic for her because she is finally feeling free but the thing that made her feel free is also this cage. She can't really leave the house. Um, she's still stuck in this place that she was so desperate to get out of. So she's like trying to make the best of it. And so um, we see that like sort of desperation of like, I'm taking control and this is uh, this is my life and I'm gonna do what I want with it. And then making all the wrong choices, mostly with decor. Like, there are some choices where if you actually start to pick it apart and think about, like, okay, so someone installed all of those, uh, not neon lights. Are they neon lights? Fluorescent, fluorescent lights. that's the word. All of those, like, just generic long strips of fluorescent lights that are hung 
at like weird angles. They're, they're like, uh, it's it's unsettling. It, fe- it feels really like chaotic. Like it feels like someone who's in chaos and trying to make order out of it. And like in reality, no one's gonna do that with their lighting. <laughs> not one person on the planet is gonna install Vampire lighting in not. that fashion. But it's important to like it it gives it gives you a sense, it makes you feel anxious. Like there's there's a lot of attention to to the environment to make you feel stuff and understand or like get into the head space of the character. And that's that's a great example of like in reality, if you walked into a room like that, you would be like something has gone terribly wrong this um like do you need a level i could bring a level over <laughs> if you need it um anyway and and in the movie stoker it's similar it's very opulent so if you like that kind of stylized really beautiful also you were talking about uh there's a lot of blood in this movie and there's a bit of blood in stoker also but there's this incredible scene where you see bl- fresh blood sort of like glittery and trickling down on a, a wall that's already painted red. And it's amazing to watch. Like, of course, I want the camera to linger on that for a while. So I would say, like, the parts of this movie that are really beautiful are, uh, like, heightened even more in the movie Stoker. Um, and and it still has some of the like suspense and um, anxiety and all of that stuff, but it's more of a mystery and less gore. Uh, I recommend it. It's, it's like, you, you start to see that, that, that what this director cares about most, which is like atmosphere. <laughs> atmosphere is extreme. Are you talking about Stoker or are you talking about? Both, but especially Stoker. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, and it's funny how um, when you talk about the beauty of the shots in uh, Thirst, even the scene where they're in their fluorescent lit bright white room where she vomits blood and then they go to this like overhead shot of her laying and the composition of her position with this like blood splatter across the white floor. It was just really visually interesting Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I loved about this movie is that like even things that would either be mundane or gory, um, they really take the time to make it interesting as well, right? Yeah, like and you could take a screenshot from any scene in the movie and it would be like, a, I would want to frame it. It's beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of that, attention that, to that, detail. Yeah. That, that, that plays right into my sort of my analogy of this movie or, or these types of movies where, uh, you know, a movie like uh, Blade, right? A vampire movie, right? That's like... <laughs> going to Disneyland and getting on a ride. And, yeah, it's an action you know I mean? movie, this ultimately. Is, yeah, it's an action movie. You know, it's it's a thrill ride. But this is really like walking through a museum where you're, like, stopping mm-hmm. and taking time and thinking about what's in front of you. And, and it's... and um, So it's not a movie that I, would, I could watch over and over and over again in, you know, like, within a month, per se. I'll definitely re-watch this movie. But it's... But it's just a beautiful experience, and it's an elevated vampire movie for sure. Mm-hmm. Did you feel emotional at any point? Like, like when I, I the it, first time I watched it, I felt really emotional at the end. I had a lot of big feelings at the end. Not like 
um, not like what you would traditionally mean by like emotional. Like I didn't feel sad, but I felt the trappedness and the anxiety of the whole thing yeah. mm-hmm. and the frustrations and the um, like really when the relate because the relationship starts off so sweet and it does look like they just found an escape from the prisons that they were in but because of the ways they went about it they just put themselves in another prison mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, that's a true thing for, for everybody in life right like um, and so there was a lot of cluster, emotional claustrophobia if you will and, and anxiety that I felt throughout the movie yeah because in, in other traditional horror uh, or vampire movies there are still universal themes about love and um whatever family whatever all of those themes exist uh in vampire movies generally but it's still harder to connect to it on a personal level because they don't because it's focused on the vampire of of it all (laughs) you know like you're there to see the monster right right? like the best i would say um the, I, I, I waver, but one of the best vampire movies of all time is uh, uh, Coppola's Dracula with Gary Oldman. And I don't feel emotionally, personally connected to the story. You know, like I'm, I'm watching that movie and I'm not feeling like I connect with any of the characters, but it's beautiful, it's engaging, it's entertaining, and and that's all I need out of a vampire movie, but but this isn't really a vampire movie in that way. Like you, you're you're more interested in Dracula for like because Dracula it's Dracula. He's the final boss, <laughs> you know. Like that that doesn't feel like a human connection to me. That's like I I want to be lifted out of my life and plopped into a fantasy for for two hours. But in this movie, you're you're kind of you're in a fantasy and it is over the top and stylized and all of those things. But there still is like yeah that like sense of dread and anxiety that like really cuts through and makes you feel like yeah I could feel that I could I could feel this mm-hmm. <laughs> personally in my life. That feeling of being trapped is like a universal feeling, but it's communicated so effectively, not just in like the really broad themes of like whoops you fell in love with the wrong guy <laughs> now you're trapped mm-hmm. um it's like well, more specific yeah and acute yeah i was also uh, talking about like did you feel anything with this movie i felt a lot of tenderness and i know that's a common thing with vampire movies is that you know you in order to like show that the vampire is still a still a person deep down they have some sort of tenderness at a vulnerable moment with a usually another another usually a young woman uh but in this movie it felt really interesting because especially of the context of like the catholic religion mixed in like we were talking about that scene where like there's some like feet sucking going on and you know i don't want to yuck anyone else's yum usually that sort of thing not super into it however i was thinking about how there's probably something in there with an analogy to like the washing of jesus's feet that's a thing right uh i i think i i as an atheist i cannot be 100 percent sure jesus washed the feet of his disciples 
There we go. Other way around. And, and, so there's... and an act of humility is what it was. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> I could definitely see there being, like, connections Yeah, because to in that. that moment where he's like, okay, I've been literally beating my boner with a stick to avoid getting to this point, and here I am anyways, and he's still trying to, like, squirm his way around it and not just... We want the full pen, man. We want the full penetration. But he's like, no, I've got to, we're going to do weird stuff first. <laughs> I got to ease into it. And that is interesting. I didn't pick up on that either, but that, that makes sense to me. That's like a, like a pious move in a, in mm-hmm. an erotic way, but it, it's sort of his way of like working around the, the thing that he sees as wrong. Um, but it's also interesting because yeah, he's, he's lashing himself um, for having a boner, and so he has he has marks on his thighs, like he has been uh, self harming, and so has she. And when he sees it on her, it like doesn't even occur to him that it could be self inflicted, because he sees her as this thing that needs to be rescued. And so it didn't even occur to him, even though he is someone who is literally doing that to himself. Like they probably have very yeah. similar markings on their thighs, and he's like oh no, it's an emergency, I have to save her immediately. And it's it's like a powder keg because that's exactly what he needs. He tried, he tried to martyr himself. He literally tried to martyr himself and it didn't work. He got vampire blood, unfortunately. And now he's like, for fuck's sake. So of course he would throw everything into that relationship. Like this is his other chance to like do real good. And it just completely blinds him to really obvious problems with that path. <laughs> yeah. Can I, ask a, I have a question real quick, though, uh, that's kind of a rabbit trail. So is there just a vampire in the community that decided to donate <laughs> blood? Yeah. And it just wound up in the supply and just by circumstance, he wound up with guess so a vampire donor I like blood or was or was there something more where this particular blood with his chemistry with the disease all kind of came together to create a vampiric uh, result like they I don't really get sure into how- that and I also feel like there are so many different ways that they could approach that first of all in some movies they treat vampires like like uh like they're in a world where vampires aren't a thing that people really know about and so Mm -hmm. they're like listen to this you're never going to believe this condition and then they're like we call it vampirism (laughs) it's like he's just like I'm a vampire and she's like that's crazy (laughs) like everyone knows what vampires are it kind of makes me feel like um, it feels more real because like okay I know about vampires I don't believe that they're real. But if someone showed me like, hey, look, all of these things that you've heard about, I actually do them. I'm like a real full-blown vampire. It, w- it wouldn't need a whole plot about like, oh no, right. now vampires are gonna take over the world. Like they don't, they're not interested in that. It's almost like, um, it makes me wonder what, like what was the impetus for making this a vampire story? Because all of the things we're talking about have nothing to do with being a vampire. Um, like there's still murder, there's still adultery, uh, there's still like domestic violence and just being e- like not I don't like the word evil, being mean to each other and um, and like almost aggressively not 
understanding the other person and assuming that they're the problem and they're the thing that's making your life terrible and um like you don't need vampires for any of that shit all the things that we've talked about that we love most about this movie have has nothing to do with vampires so why did they choose that and they also are like and it's incidental they're they're just like you don't yeah don't don't ask questions it was a blood transfusion something happened he's vampire it's fine yeah it's interesting i mean it makes sense when you think about so many of the themes of this movie have to do with like codependency and like moral gray areas and um i think that a vampire as like a monster is a perfect outlet for that because so many stories about vampires are vampires trying to not be assholes about the whole situation (laughs) i mean you know in let the right one in there i think that's a big a big part of the plot of that one and that one's also a very beautiful like touching um vampire story so i think that that monster as like an outlet for a lot of this and kind of like fitting in harmonizing with those themes makes a lot of sense to me and i think it's like a smart choice it allows you to kind of like explore those themes uh in some unique ways well i I think it kind of also plays into the idea of like we all play predator and prey uh, with mm-hmm. each other in our relationships and uh, especially when it's really dramatic relationships and complex relationships which all these characters have with each other right they're, they're they have real human moments and they all have real monster moments vampire or not <coughs> right and so but you see that people who switch between predator and prey it's usually in situations where there's desperation involved and or that they're hungry for something right like the main character uh, who sort of like manipulated the priest here let me backtrack on that because I'm not sure if I can follow that idea through <laughs> but but essentially the predator and prey thing is just heightened by making them vampires right mm-hmm. and, and then and the thirsts that and, that and the hungers that we have that turn us into predators and preys um, it's just an easy metaphor to use uh, a bloodthirsty creature mm-hmm. so so the song you, you everyone knows the song turn around every now okay hello dear creeps it's your pal tanya uh i don't know what the fuck happened at this point but it was probably a ghost i suddenly stopped recording as i was about to drop this really cool pop-up video fact about the song Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. That song, drumroll, was about, further drumroll, vampires. Boom, bitch. What? Really? <laughs> it's true. It was written by a guy called Jim Steinman, who worked with Meatloaf and stuff. Um, and it was originally called Vampires in Love, and he wrote it about vampires duh and then later in the 90s he included it in his um, musical dance of the vampires so suck on that wink and back to the episode off of that song i'm sure they both did um but it's a similar feeling of like this universal thing that is like fun to sing because it's so dramatic but there's also like there's feeling in it and it's the same thing as this movie you can apply that to a vampire story very easily because there's just like baked in intensity and sexiness uh 
but but ultimately you don't need to know that that song is about vampires to feel those things <laughs> you don't need to know that it makes perfect sense when you hear it but same with this movie if you just took out all the parts about them being vampires it would it would give you the same story essentially it's just missing an mm-hmm. extra layer that's um yeah bloody and allergic to the sun i think the vampire theme just heightens all that intensity that's already there. It's just it's just a way to like mm-hmm. make it super hyperbolic, yeah. and also add. Uh, I mean, this director has filmed or has made movies that carry the same sort of like uh, visceral uncomfortableness and gore and blood and and so um, I mm-hmm. think it also allowed to have him exercise his monstrous tendencies that he likes to put into his movies. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when did you first come across this movie, Tanya? Let's see. It came out in 2009. I would have seen it within a couple years of when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. I don't think I knew about it when it came out. And I came across it on um, probably Netflix. Okay. Early version of Netflix. Remember when you had the plan where you could... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. DVDs? What a time to be alive. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember exactly how I heard about it, but um, I had watched Old Boy, and I had seen a few other like Korean horror films, and I was probably just sort of going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, this movie, um, and I'm going to say this probably a lot uh, for all, all the movies that you select as we go along, but um, my natural tastes are uh, a little more uh, plebeian. <laughs> <laughs> right like that's why you're such a great compliment to the group you're a peasant <laughs> exactly I, I speak for the common folk out there um i would if i saw a how many how long is this thing two and a half plus two hours and i think like 15 minutes or so yeah it's, it's okay less so when than i see a, a movie this long in korean it's not going to be the thing that I'm going to click on, you know, uh, necessarily. However, um, I'm glad that you're here because it puts me in a position to watch it. And then I find that they're amazing, and a beautiful movie. So, uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it'd be a hard sell, to be honest, for the average person. I think there would have to be a... I don't think I would want to sell yeah, it to the well, average person. There's so many cool things in it that it's like if you could just get through a couple hurdles, I think a lot more people like myself would enjoy it, even though they may think that they wouldn't. Is kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad I was forced to watch it. <laughs> I hope I get like three extra points because I technically watched it one point seven five times. Yes, so far you have more points than anyone else because you just invented points. <laughs> yeah, I'll start marking those down. It's all about the points, Brendan. Does anyone else watch home movies? The, the animated series? <laughs> yeah, did I make yeah. you watch home movies with me? No, I, I used to watch it back in the day when it was on. It's like a who's on first routine every time I quote. I, I don't quote movies and TV very often, but for some reason home movies is one that... Home movies and anything Maria Bamford has any, has ever said is stuck in my head forever. But then I'm like, no, you don't know that reference? And I'm like, do you ever watch home movies? And they're like, like, 
of when I was a kid or le- it's stupid anyway yeah I was gonna make that out. comment but then I shut the fuck up so so glad you didn't how stupid would you <laughs> well does anybody have anything else I mean I think we've uh, covered quite a bit of this movie mm-hmm. uh, gave a solid synopsis I, I just I'm glad that I made you watch it I do regret being so aggressively or being so vocal about how sexy this movie is because I could absolutely see someone watching it and being like, you need help. <laughs> oh, no, I no, that's th- this is actually uh, um, in my notes. Uh, I'm going to read it as I wrote it. I'm seeing this is in regards to Tanya's picks. I'm seeing a pattern. Scary sex. <laughs> Tanya loves Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> no. I need to... Okay, first of all, you're not fully wrong. Second, Twilight became a thing when I was in my 20s, and I didn't want anything to do with it, and I was like, I was the weird kid obsessed with vampires, like literally making websites on GeoCities to catalog all of my vampire and folklore knowledge, and I got bullied by <laughs> teachers about it. So <laughs> now, and then suddenly Twilight was a thing, and I'm like working in a in a music and movie store where they've got like cardboard cutouts, and we've got p- kids coming in, and suddenly vampires are cool. And I'm sorry, I'm a gatekeeper. <laughs> I was not into it. I was like, you had, you need to earn the right. You need to be bullied and then see if you still like them. I have a similar story with zombies. Uh, you know, I was way into zombie movies, thought the seventies and early eighties zombie movies before any and everybody's like, Yeah, oh, that looks like garbage, it's from the seventies. Um, and I loved it mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden zombies were everywhere and everything and I just think I deserve a little more credit for being there first. So I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, well, without that history, Tanya, uh, you would not be the creep you are today. So I think it all worked out really well. (laughs) (laughs) If if not bullied by your teachers, I think you would have been a little more less creepy. Um, Well, let's give give this thing a little bit of a rating. Tanya, Mm -hmm. I know it's a 10 out of 5 for you. 5. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely a 5. For me, I would probably rate it like a 4.5, like very close for sure. It was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. There was like a lot of things that made me think, which is fun from time to time. (laughs) This is one of those times. (laughs) So I really enjoyed it. And uh, I feel like, yeah, it deserves that for me because I'm not much of a vampire movie person, but because I enjoyed it so much, despite... Um, despite that being kind of a theme and despite some of the goopy sucking blood noises um, I really enjoyed it did that bother you more than him sucking her bunion toes Um, it was more prevalent than the bunion toes sucking so I would say yes just because it happened more than once but I wasn't like a huge fan of the bunion toes scene yeah, it's not a, it's not something that speaks to me as a kink, but yeah. in the in the context of the movie, it was really hot. Oh, absolutely! It makes a lot of sense, but it's just one of those like ah, thanks for me, it's sheep noise, you know. <laughs> situations. Well, uh, 
You went full sheep. Full sheep. <laughs> I will have to say that I would give this movie a 4.1. Uh, I wanted to give it a solid four, but I think it deserves a little more than just a four. <laughs> just just tip it over just a little bit over the four. And my only issue with the movie was that I had to pause it and get up and stretch. And that I did feel the runtime a little bit. Um, but yeah. it was definitely <laughs> still an amazing, beautiful movie that I will rewatch. Mm-hmm. Well, I think just to sum this up, this movie is definitely a creep, not one that we want to put to sleep. So (laughs) definitely recommend it to everybody that wants to uh, expand their uh, vampiric catalog. It's got an average of just over 4.5 creeps out of 5 creeps on our creep star scale. That's right. So (laughs) Definitely. Well, if there's nothing else to add, I guess that wraps up this episode of Creep Club. Thanks for everybody out there listening. Keep it creepy. I'm seeing a pattern. Scary sex.